Well, praise the Lord. Amen. I've been attacked everywhere I've been this morning. Uh, so I'm looking for a good, good day today. Amen. <laughs> Some of you have already gotten your Beyond the Hills uh, book. <laughs> and and uh, man, I went into Arabella this morning and uh, boy, there's like sprayed cockroach in there. Uh, and then uh, the same thing out at Mason Creek. Uh, if you've not gotten yours yet, we haven't gotten ours in our house. I thought I'd have one more good day to preach. Uh, but uh, anyway, if you haven't gotten yours yet, just know that God's doing some great things. I had a guy this morning say, I don't want to go to two services. We don't need to go to two services. And I said, well, there's one simple solution. About $3 million to build us a new building to hold all of us. So you give me that and we won't go to two services. He said, we ought to go to two services. <laughs> so, uh, there are going to be some new things coming up in 2020, but these are exciting days. They're, they're, they're just thrilling days. I, I don't know. It's like God's given me a chance to start all over again, and it's going to be exciting. It is going to be exciting. Now, for the unexciting thing, turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to stay in the book of Matthew. As I, I begin a new series this morning for a few weeks called Christmas in a Mixed Up World. You don't think this world is mixed up. You just hadn't looked at the paper or read the, or, or looked at the television. This thing's kind of like a termite and a yo-yo. Doesn't know which way is up or down or any other way. But uh, I think we're going to see that even in the mixed up world we live, Jesus is still in control. He's still Lord. I praise the Lord for that. Matthew chapter 1 and before we stand now, if you're weak, you, you, you grab a hold of somebody because these next 17 verses are like watching paint dry. <laughs> but it's important. It's a word of God. Amen. Matthew 1, verse 1, would you stand in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? The Bible says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac beget Jacob, and Jacob beget Judas and his brethren. And Judas beget Pharaoh and Zerah of Thamar. And Pharaoh beget Ezra, and Ezra beget Aram. And Aram beget Abinadab, and Abinadab beget Nason. And Nason beget Salmon, and Salmon beget Boaz of Rechab. And Boaz beget Obed of Ruth, and Obed beget Jesse. And Jesse beget David the king, and David the king beget Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. And Solomon begat Roboam, and Roboam begat Abida, and Abia begat Asa, and Asa begat Josaphat, and Josaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias, and Ozias begat Jonathan, and uh, Joatham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias, and Ezekias begat uh, Manassas, and Manassas begat Amon, and Amon begat Josias, and Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salathael, and Salathael begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Abidad, and Abidad begat Elikim, and Eliakim begat Azor, and Azor begat Sadoc, and Sadoc begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliad, and Eliad begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Methan, and Methan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, 
of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David unto the carrying away unto Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away unto Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Father, thank you for your word. Use it to inspire us this morning. May it speak to our hearts. and May we not just hear it, but may we be obedient to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. How many of you are still awake? Amen. And I thought some of you had zoned out, got weak during all of that. Least you could do would be find some good baby names up in there. Uh, I guarantee you, they, they try to come up with wild names for babies. Just look right here at Matthew chapter 1. And a Hezron or a Benadab or Sheatel or one of those. I'm not a lot into genealogy. I did get into it one time and found some things I didn't want. So I thought best thing you could do is keep your mouth shut. I got enough relatives as it is uh, without having any more. Now, Matthew leads off with a genealogy that looks like this is going to be a snoozer. But there are five important things here as we think about Christmas and we think about the mixed-up world that we live in and how it can relate to them. The first thing I see here is the good news is the gospel. It's the go- Listen now, it's not good advice, it's good news. Most uh, stories or fairy tales start out with once upon a time. That's how they did when we were growing up. Now it's modern, and they start out with in a galaxy somewhere far, far away, you know, something like that. But, but Matthew starts out with a genealogy. I, why, why, why wouldn't you start out with once upon a time or, or in the beginning, you know, or something? But he starts out, I think it's because Christianity's most important feature is that it is actually history. It's, listen, we're not talking about fables and fairy tales here. We're talking about history. You see, most religions, when you peel back the layers of them there, like, for example, uh, 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 Buddhism, it really doesn't depend on Buddha being an actual person. There, there are principles there, and you live by them, and it really doesn't matter if Buddha is alive or not. Same thing happens with Islam. Uh, there are principles there they live by. Muhammad was just the, the prophet or the mouthpiece, uh, but it really doesn't matter whether he was alive or not. But that's not true for Christianity. That's not true. You see, Christianity depends upon a set of events. And if those events are not true, then everything we're doing here today is in vain. It's it's not a fairy tale. It's not a principle to live by. Uh, the, The core of Christianity is not what Jesus taught us to do. The core of Christianity is what Jesus would do for us. That's what Christianity is about. Uh, scholars point out in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, they all contain the record of Jesus' life. Most of them just prologues to the death of Christ and him dying on the cross. They skim over the 33 years of his life and then focus on the one week he'd go to the cross. (laughs) And the Gospels contain a lot of things that Jesus taught. But the focus of the Gospels is not on what Jesus taught, but what he did. That's the important thing. That's why I say the gospel is not just good advice, it's good news. Uh, uh, When Jesus was born, it was the angels that showed up announcing 
that peace on earth and salvation for men. They didn't say the great teacher is here. They, they said the Savior is born. Uh, you see, what this world and humanity needed was not one more religious leader. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, there have been no lack of good advice for the last 4,000 years. A bit more would have made no difference. We never have followed the advice of great teachers. Why would we begin now? Wow. I, I, I tell you, I'll tell you the same thing I've told others this morning. Most of you in this place today, you don't need another firing preacher uh, blowing hard smoke at you. world's about had all that they want. What, what this world needs to see is some folks who are actually living out the gospel, who are acting out the gospel, not just trying to keep a bunch of rules and regulations, but actually living. We needed a different kind of salvation and a new kind of Savior, and God became that for us by entering into history and doing what we could not do for ourselves. The most important thing about the gospel, it must be believed and received like a gift. That's, that's the important thing, which means this. If you're just trying to emulate the moral teachings of Jesus, you're not a Christian. Even if you keep them really well and better than most people, because the core of Christianity is not a set of teachings to be followed. It's a gift to be received. And that's what we need to understand at Christmas. All these rules and all this stuff, I, I'm not saying, you know, don't follow those. We definitely need to follow those. Those are examples and there are commandments and all. But I'm telling you, don't stake your life on the fact that you're living like Jesus. You stake your life on the fact that you've received the free gift of salvation. It was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we see here <clears throat> that Jesus is the good news. Then the second thing that shows me something here, this genealogy shows us that Jesus is the very center of history. Matthew takes what the world would consider to be an insignificant family. I mean, when you look at this family line, now here's the important thing. Uh, it certainly doesn't seem like Jesus is the focal point of history here. Israel is a small, beaten-down nation. They're backwater, Middle East country. It was under the rule of somebody else. Nobody in Rome was paying any attention to the family line. But you see, God had promised Abraham to bring salvation to the world through Jesus Christ. And the whole world may not have been knowing what was going on. But I want to tell you, Jesus is the center of history. At this point in history, you've got those powerful nations and people that seem like they're directing everything. And Matthew shows you in this genealogy that God is the one that, that is, uh, is, is, is really regulating everything. This is my 16th Christmas to preach to you guys. Christmas is a hard time for a preacher. I mean, the Christmas story, you can only tell it so many ways. <laughs> and I mean, I've about done every way I know how. But I was studying this week. Wow. I, I know I'm crazy. But it dawned on me, why didn't God just tell Joseph and Mary to go to Bethlehem? I mean, that's, that fulfilled prophecy. That's why they had to go to Bethlehem. But, but Joseph and Mary have already agreed 
that it's God's son and, and they've already heard from the angel and they're all on board. All God would have had to do was say, you guys, we need to have Jesus in Bethlehem. Y'all go to Bethlehem. Amen? Is that right? Could he have done that? But you know what he did? He took a, a nation, Caesar, and taxed an entire nation so that, Jerry, uh, so that Joseph and Mary could end up in Bethlehem. Wow. Now you say, preacher, what's so important? I'm just telling you right now, Rome thought they were calling the shots, but they wasn't calling the shots. God calling the shots. Jesus is the center of all of history. And he continues to be the center of all history. I don't know, maybe the Israelites at this point are discouraged. They looked around. They didn't see God fulfilling his promises. Rome was in charge. I look at people here this morning. I know some of you are discouraged. You're, you're disheartened. Unbelief seems to be growing. It looks like secularism is taking over our country and our world. Our institutions are corrupted, and they're, they're destroying our nation. What we're seeing now is liberals destroying our nation right before our eyes. And it gets discouraged. And we listen to me. Don't be deceived. God's still throne of the universe. And Jesus is still the history of our universe. His face is on both sides of the book. You may be discouraged because uh, it looks like you're subject to forces that you can't control. But I want to tell you, God can control them. God can control them. I want us to remember that as we think about launching into Beyond the Hills 2020. Because there's a lot of things in there. People saying, oh, this is not going to happen. Well, you just forgot to factor in one thing. He's still God. He's still God. The third thing I see here in this uh, genealogy is that God is working in all things, good and bad, for his purposes. Henry Blackaby taught us years ago that God was always at work, whether we saw him or not. Matthew chooses to organize this genealogy in three sections of 14. Now, that, that's going to superimpose his seal of perfection on history. We'll talk about that again in just a moment. But what is amazing here is the messy, random, chaotic stuff that you find in this genealogy. Uh, verse 3, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now, why did he include the mother's name? Women's name were never included in things like that. And yet here, he, I think he put that in there to call us to attention to remember what happened there. That's why her name's in there. Now, Genesis 38, you'll find the whole story, and I'm sure I'm just going to summarize it for you, but I'll, I know you'll want to go home and read Genesis 38 and get the whole scoop, as Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story. But Tamar was a wife of one of Judah's sons. And her husband died, as was Jewish law. The older brother had to come in and become the husband of the wife because they didn't have any children. So Onan was the next son, and he came in, and Onan didn't like Tamar. And you can tell it, if you read about it. The King James puts it real delicate there. <laughs> uh, but you, you read about it in Genesis 38 uh, when you get home this afternoon. And so God wasn't pleased with that either, so he killed Onan. 
Well, that means there's one son left, and that's Shelah. That's Judah's third son. But at this point, Judah begins to think, you know, maybe old Tamar's a curse. I mean, I, I had three sons, and she's already killed two of them, and there's only one left. And he's supposed to fall in line too. But Judah kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And it seems like Judah had a weakness. And Tamar knew what it was. She dressed up as a prostitute. Judah had a weakness of prostitutes. It's all right here in the Bible. Read Genesis 38. And so there, yeah, well, she gets uh, pregnant. And so in about three months, she's showing. Amen? Well, Judah said, I knew she couldn't be trusted. We're going to stone her. So Genesis 38, they're walking her out to stone her. And she said, before y'all stone me, the daddy of this child, I've got his belt right here. Ooh, it was Judah's belt. Don't you know they had a Thanksgiving table round on that day? Huh? Uh, Judah was the one? It's, it's right here. <laughs> I, mm, that's some messy, chaotic stuff. But you know what? God was working, bringing about a perfect plan. That's why the number 14 is used. He's working in our lives too. Some of you in this place this morning, you got a dysfunctional life. You're saying God's not pleased and, and, all, and I understand all of that. But I want to tell you, Romans 8, 28 still says all things work together to the good of those who love God and called according to his purpose. And then Romans 8, 29, a lot of people don't quote that. For whom he did foreknow, he predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Wow. I, I see that all here in the genealogy, uh, that, that God's working in all things, good or bad. Then, then fourthly, in this genealogy, I see that the gospel is for outsiders. It's for outsiders. For a Jewish person, their genealogy was like their resume. I've been here 16 years. Had a preacher ask me a couple of weeks ago, what, what's the secret to staying at a church 15, 16 years? I said, it's real simple. Nobody else wants you. So you just stay. <laughs> well, uh, when you got your resume, your genealogy, you, you want to show the world how important you are. You're not going to put certain people on your genealogy, on your resume. Huh? I mean, those that you don't want, there's some of y'all, if somebody was wanting me somewhere, you'd be the last person I'd put on a resume. Amen? Now, there's some of you I'd put on there, and some of you want me gone so bad, I'd put on there too. Uh, just because I know you'd give me a good reference there. But your, your, your heritage, your heritage was how they showed their worth. That's how they showed if they was worth something. And so back then, resumes were fudged. And you want to know something? They still fudged today. They still fudged today. Herod was a king when Jesus was born. He published his genealogy, but he did. He wiped out all of the bad things on his record. Wiped them all out. Now, uh, you look at Jesus, he includes all of these things. God includes him. Verse 5, Rahab, she's a prostitute and a Gentile that God saved from Jericho. Ruth, she's a Moabite. And all of these women here, none of them are important in those days, and, and they're in the genealogy. 
They're not even respectable. And then David and the wife of Uriah. Why was that phrase there? I think it's there to remind us of what David did. David took his best friend's wife and had sex with her and then killed his best friend, had his best friend killed. And yet, God can still use him. God can still use you. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you've been, it's a message to us that these names lead to Christ so that your name, you know your name can be included in the list. Our Savior loves the uttermost. I'm so thankful for that. That means no matter who you are, what you've done, there's room in the family. You may feel like an outcast. You may feel like you're lost, but there's room for you in the family of God. God was at work. Let me give you this last thing and we're through. In this genealogy, Jesus is the ultimate rest. He's the ultimate rest. Now, you got three sets of 14. Verse 17 says the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David unto carrying away unto Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away from Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Is that right? I know it's been a long time since some of you in math, but three fourteens equals six sevens. Is that right? So Jesus is the seventh seven. Woo! If you know anything about numerology, you know that seven is a number of completion. Jesus is our completion. He is the ultimate rest. Every seven years, the land in Israel was, was not farmed. It was done so, so that it could replenish its nutrients. Every seven years, called the year of Jubilee, all the debts, MasterCard, Visa, all of those wiped away. Amen? We, <laughs> I tell you, my wife was in the hospital uh, <laughs> three nights, I guess it was. Uh, and we got a letter this week. They've messed our insurance up somehow or another. I may leave town in the middle of the night. It, it, it says we owe $189,000 for three nights, three nights. I mean, you could have stayed in the Waldorf Astoria and ate like kings for that. But anyway, uh, wiped away, debt wiped away. What he's saying here, Jesus is the seventh seventh. So all your sins have been wiped away. If you'll come to him and receive him as a gift, your sins are gone. They're wiped away. He's the ultimate rest. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You don't have to earn God's love. It's not given uh, to someone who gives more money than somebody else. So you can quit striving. You can quit worrying. Just rest in Jesus. Hmm. You don't have to prove yourself. He's already accepted you. In Christ, you have the absolute approval, I'll be honest with you, of the, really the only one whose opinion counts. You don't have to bear the weight of the world on your shoulder. Jesus comes to us as a gift, doing something that we could not do for ourselves, winning a battle against my sin and your sin, and paying our sin debt. He's the central point of history. That's what God's been saying to us all along. Now, there's two kinds of life. There is eternal life. That's forever. Everybody in this building today, 
needs eternal life. If you're here this morning and you don't have eternal life, this is the day that you need to accept Christ and have eternal life. Jesus died and rose again to build a bridge between a holy God and a sinful people so that we could have eternal life. Acts 20, 21 says, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of this, of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith leads to eternal life. Here's a person, he's living, but inside he's dead. And when we come to that place where we repent of our sins and we turn and we've got faith in Jesus Christ, we're born dead toward God. We're walking in the course of this world. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us have turned to our own way. It doesn't mean we're cursing God. It doesn't mean we're shaking a fist at God. It just means we're just blowing God off. We're just not going to do anything. Testifying to Jews and Greeks of repentance and faith. That means to change your mind, to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. He's asking you to do that this morning. Say, preacher, I joined the church. That's wonderful. Everybody ought to have a church home. I signed a card. That's wonderful. We buy those cards and print them up. It costs money. You need to sign one. I prayed a prayer. That's good. That's good. But unless you have repented and turned your life over to Jesus Christ, you don't have eternal life. You're not following the Lord Jesus Christ. So you need eternal life. Secondly, you need abundant life. Eternal life is for history, for all of eternity. But abundant life is right now. Right now. He's the bread of life. He said, hey, I want to give you eternal life, but I want to give you abundant life right now on earth. Sometimes we get derailed because we're singing in the sweet by and by, and we have this idea that, well, I got saved. I got saved about 40 years ago, and I'm waiting for the Lord to call me home. And I'm going to enjoy heaven. Well, that's crazy. If only reason God had for saving you was to take you to heaven, you'd have gone to heaven the moment God saved you. He's got something else for you. That's abundant life here on the face of this earth. Right now. Right now. It begins now. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all those things, the fruits of the Spirit, we're to be living that kind of life right now. Because remember, the gospel is for outsiders. If you're here this morning and you're saved and redeemed, praise the Lord. But there are a lot of folk who are not, and they need Christ. And they need to see that he's Lord in your life. You say, preacher, why wouldn't people come to Jesus? I jotted down four things here. One of them is pride. People don't want to humble themselves. A lot of pride going around today. And, uh, I, you know, I, I've been to Bible college five weeks. I want to go where I want to go. I want to do what I want to do. That's pride. We need to humble ourselves. And a lot of folks won't humble themselves. And they'll never come to Jesus until, first of all, they humble themselves. What else? Fear. Probably never a couple of weeks don't ever go by that what somebody don't tell me this. I get saved, but I'm afraid I can't live up to it. And I say, well, you, you got some insight there from God because you can't. There's no way you can. I'm so thankful 1 John 1, 9 is in the Word of God. You can't live up to it. 
you can strive to live up to it. You ought to be living up to it probably better the older you get. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow. You don't need to fear God. God loves you just like you are. Just like you are. What else? Don't tar and feather me. But Christians who have backslidden keep other people from coming to Jesus. Ah, they're members of your church, and I, I, I see them at work. I, I, man, he ain't no different than I am. Something needs to be different. Something needs to be different. This Christmas in 2019, this might be the year we need to get a hold of ourselves and say, look, we need to do a little soul searching and make sure that we've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. When Adam sinned, God came down in the cool of the day and he said, Adam, Adam, where are you? And he said, Lord, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. I was ashamed of what I'd done. Have you ever noticed that when Christians backslide, that rather than run to this altar and run to prayer people who can help them, most of the time they just run away. The very time that they ought to be here the most is the very time they just leave and run somewhere else. Well, there's another reason why some people don't come to Christ. Joseph and Mary as they went to Jerusalem and the city there, no room, everything full. And there's a reason that some people don't come to Christ is because they've got a crowded heart. There's no room for Jesus. I, 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 hey, I've been there. I, I've done that. I know. I know. I'm not so old. I don't remember running to piano lessons and running to dance lessons and running to little league and running to baseball and running to soccer and running to this and running to that. And you go home tired, you get up tired. But every once in a while, folk, you better just stop and say, we need to make sure that we've got the main thing, the main thing in our family. Because if you let it go on for four or five years, 10 or 12 years, you're going to find out then that it's going to be very, very, very difficult to correct. You say, well, it's difficult now with a four-year-old. I know that. But it's not nearly as difficult with a four-year-old as it is with a 15-year-old. We need to make sure that we don't crowd Jesus out. Here's the bottom line. The Scripture says in John 1.12, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The power you need to be saved this morning is not going to come from you. It's going to come from God. If the Holy Spirit's knocking at your heart's door, that's not the devil. People will ask me, how do I know whether the devil's tempting me or whether this is God? I can promise you. I can promise you, the devil never will tempt you to be saved. He'll never tempt you to be saved. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And while the Holy Spirit's knocking at your heart's door, I don't know what that means for you. It may mean you need to be saved. It may need to, you need to come to this altar 
and just pour your heart out before God. It may be that you need to come to some pastor and, and we pray for you. It may be you need to go to somebody in this congregation and have them pray with you. I, I don't know what that means for you, but I'm just telling you this. Any solution you try in your life that doesn't include Jesus is going to bomb out. Doesn't matter what it is. If I just got a better job, if I just changed jobs and got around different people, it's going to bomb out. Jesus has got to be the center. I'm inviting you to make him center this morning. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity you give us to just be a part of hearing this beautiful music. Lord, hearing the word of God, thank you that you give us another chance to correct our relationship with you. Maybe there are those here, and I know there are, that have never trusted you as their personal Savior. And this would be the day that, that they come and say, I want Jesus more than anything else. More than anything, I want Jesus to be the center of my life. Lord, would you let your will be done? I know there are folk here that are hurting this morning. Lord, they're looking discouraged. And I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, you'll lift them up. You'll show them that if, you, if they follow you, that when all of this is said and done, you're working out your perfect plan in their life. Have your way right now, dear Jesus. We pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? Brother Aaron leads us in song. You come right now. Come on. Calvary, Calvary covers it all. Hallelujah. Calvary.